0: The way that well-told stories end is really important. The author is usually trying to emphasize something for us. If you're watching a movie, sometimes the message is, just wait, the sequel's coming. Others end with some emphasis that really points back into the story and highlights some of the central themes of the story. For example, if there was a a message in the narrative, the author wants to make sure that you don't forget it. And that's true of Luke's account of the acts of the apostles of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel through the power of the spirit to the ends of the world. That's the book of Acts. And we've come to the very last chapter. Luke is going to emphasize some themes that have been constant throughout this true account. But he doesn't just want us to look back. I think he wants us also to look forward as well. There's a message at the end about something that's like a sequel to the book of Acts. The last chapter of the book of Acts is a really good chapter, and I'm really excited to preach it to you. Chapter 27 was really action packed. It was, of course, if you'll remember last week, the story of God keeping his promise to deliver Paul and really the life of every single passenger on the ship that he was sailing on from death. He delivered them from death. They were in the middle of a storm, a terrible storm. They had given up hope, but not Paul. Paul hadn't given up hope because the night before, an angel of the Lord had come and spoken to him and assured him that he would make it to Rome and that he would stand trial before Caesar and that every single life on that ship would be saved. The ship was ultimately lost. It broke up on the rocks on uh, an island that they didn't know anything about. But all 276 people safely reached the shore of that unknown island. And that's where we pick up our story this afternoon. Turn with me in your bulletin first, actually, to page 12. And I'm going to turn. I'm going to point out just one more time where we're going on the map. Every sermon here at Covenant Hope Church doesn't have a map that goes with it, but this one does. And if you'll look on the left side of that map, you'll see the tiny island of Malta. And then the journey that we're going to go on in chapter 28 takes us north then, straight north from Malta up to Syracuse, Regium, Petoli, and then on to Rome. So that's where we're going on the map. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 28. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I'd like to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like for you to be able to look into the Bible and read this true account uh, from the pen of Luke. And so if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, raise your hand and we'll give you one. Our ushers are ready to hand out Bibles This will be our gift to you, you can keep it as your own. Does anybody need a Bible? Don't be shy, we love to give away Bibles. All right, looks like everyone's got a Bible of some form or another. If you have a Bible that was handed out maybe last week, one of these free Bibles that we've given, it's on page 546, and the rest of you are gonna have to look in the table of contents to get there. Acts 28. No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Now in the neighborhood of that place, were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patuli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Apias and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar We know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true and your word will never fail. The grass withers, everything dies, but your word is living and active like a sharp two edged sword. We pray, Lord, that it would do its work today. In Christ's name, Amen. Most of all, I want you to learn from this chapter of Acts to trust God's gracious provision for proclaiming his gospel to everyone. Trust God's gracious provision for proclaiming his gospel to everyone. There's two points to the outline this afternoon, gracious provision and gospel proclamation, gracious provision and gospel proclamation. First, we see God's gracious provision for Paul and really everyone who was with Paul. You know, being shipwrecked on an island isn't exactly what we might call being rescued. There was a lot more that could have gone wrong for all the occupants of that ship that had swam to shore, just barely saving their lives. It could have been an island of cannibals But instead, it was an island of kind people. The people ended up showing Paul and others great hospitality. You know, God was in control of the storm and the ship and their lives in chapter 27. And he's also in charge of what happens on the island of Malta in 28. He works through all kinds of people. In our passage today, the gracious provision that the Lord gives is through two different kinds of people, really. First of all, it's through non-Christians, people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And second of all, it's through Christians. So the island that they swam ashore to was the island of Malta. You can visit it today where there is actually a large bay that faces the east And it's called St. Paul's Bay. No mistake. The native people find the ship's occupants there on the beach that day. And they immediately began to build a fire to warm the crowd that had swam through those cold waters. And then it had begun to rain on them. And they all would have gone out and begun gathering wood to build that fire up, including Paul himself and As we've read in the passage, he gathered a bundle of sticks and when he laid them on the fire, a snake came out of the bundle and bit him on the hand. And from that event, the native people decided first that Paul must have been a murderer. They believed in something like bad things happen to bad people. And the reference that you see there in verse four to justice, it might be capitalized in your Bible, is a reference to the goddess Dike, who is a a goddess of justice and revenge. But then God prevented Paul from suffering any ill effects whatsoever, and so the native people of Malta immediately reversed their decision about who Paul was, and instead of being a murderer, they decided he was a god. Quite the opposite. Then soon, they introduced Paul and the other uh, people who had been on the ship to the leading man, the chief man of the island, his name was Publius. He owned a lot of land there on the island of Malta. And Publius hosted Paul, and presumably a smaller group of people for three days. During that stay, Paul healed Publius' father who was sick with a fever and dysentery. And when the news spread all over the island, of course, everyone came to be cured of the diseases that they had. And of course, Paul graciously healed them. And so Paul and his companions were treated then with great honor by the whole island, including food and provisions that were given to them as they began their journey three months later on a ship. That had been coming from Alexandria and was making its way to Rome. There's no mention of Paul preaching the gospel here on the island of Malta. Strange, isn't it? Knowing Paul. But knowing Paul and all that we've read about him in the book of Acts. What do you think happened there? Do you think Paul preached the gospel after he healed all those people there? There is a reason why there are over 350 churches on the island of Malta, which occupies a landmass that is less than 10% the size of Dubai. Oh, you can bet Paul preached the gospel there. And who would have thought that great gospel opportunities would come from being shipwrecked? These are the kind of amazing circumstances that the Lord can lead us into if we have our eyes open to see his providential hand at work in our lives, even in the most desperate of situations. Verses 11 through 16 then describe various stops, and most importantly, the hospitality and encouragement from Christians that Paul received along the way from Malta all the way north to Rome. In contrast to the storm that almost killed them, the journey from Malta to Rome was easy and the winds were in their favor. And so in God's kindness, they safely made their way along. They, of course, met Christians along the way. When they made stops, Paul would have inquired about whether or not there were Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ there, and they do meet them. Look there again at verses 14 and 15. They're in the city of Petuli. And Luke says, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he, we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. You see, there would have been a church already in Rome, and Paul would have already had written his letter to the church in Rome, which is actually the next book in your Bible, the letter to the Romans. He would have written that about two years prior to his arrival in Rome, and they would have known him from that letter, if not perhaps even other stories that they had heard from believers who came through Rome. All throughout these first 17 verses of chapter 28, the kindness that Paul experienced from both non-Christians and Christians really stands out. The hospitality, the provisions that were given, the kindness, the honor that was shown to them. Of course, unlike Christians, the native people of Malta were not showing kindness to Paul and his crew because of the gospel, but the scripture tells us that God loves everyone and that he showers kindness even on those who don't know him or are rejecting him. Any skills or compassion that people who don't know Jesus that they show that in their life, they have those skills. For example, that is what we call common grace, common grace from God. It's grace from God that doesn't save a person. It doesn't provide for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and faith in Christ is God's only chosen way of salvation. That's certain from the scriptures. But I'm confident that you know people who aren't Christians. Who are kind. They've shown you compassion. They've helped you out. When you experience that, be sure and thank the Lord in addition to thanking them. Thank the Lord because he's the one who is at work through them in that particular circumstance to show you kindness. All help and kindness you receive, no matter who it comes from, is ultimately from our sovereign King Jesus. Think back over the last week, maybe even just yesterday, were you shown kindness in some way by someone that perhaps you knew to not be a believer? If so, you can be sure God was the hidden hand at work working through that person to bless you. But Christians are hospitable because of the gospel. God has welcomed us into his kingdom, into his presence. He's adopted us, brought us into his family, Michael mentioned in his introduction to the service that he's made us his siblings, siblings of Christ and siblings of one another, and he's done that through the atoning work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That is the greatest welcome and invitation to eternal love and kindness that anyone could ever receive. Because God is hospitable. We're called to be hospitable as well. We welcome others because we've been welcomed in the greatest possible way. You It's no mistake that one of the qualifications of the elders in a church listed in 1 Timothy is that they be hospitable, they be welcoming. There was a book published recently in recent years about how the gospel produces hospitality in and through us. And the title is the gospel comes with a house key. The gospel comes with a house key. I love that. It's really saying that in the gospel, Christ is giving us the house key to the house of God. We have full access. We can, we we live there literally. Christ has welcomed us into his heavenly kingdom. And so we generously make our homes and ultimately brothers and sisters, we make our lives open and welcome. We do this for one another in the church first and foremost. That would be one evidence that we're growing in gospel as a church if we are marked by hospitality here at Covenant Hope Church. And I do see lots of you being hospitable with one another. And not only with one another, but with guests who come in and amongst us into our community, into our services. But I'll ask you the question anyway. When was the last time that you had church members in your home? When was it? Maybe some of you don't have homes where it's comfortable to welcome people into your home. There's not really room for you. Maybe you live with other people in a small dwelling, but the principle still applies. It's really our lives. Most of all, that must be open and welcoming to people. Invite other people out for a meal. If that's the situation for you, open up who you are to them, ask them about themselves and tell them about who you really are. Be intentional. Being hospitable oftentimes requires planning. It requires thinking ahead. That's one of the biggest challenges for me. Oftentimes I'm looking ahead on my calendar and I like to do things spontaneously, but I know some of you and other people that I meet along the way that I wanna welcome into my home. I need to make a plan to give them time to put it on their calendar so that they can come and be in our home with us. Be intentional and don't neglect growing in hospitality brothers and sisters. One of the most important times that we can show hospitality as a church is right here in this room at 3 p.m. on Fridays. Will people be greeted and welcomed? It's not just the usher's job to welcome those who come into our midst who aren't members of this church. Let's pray and work to show hospitality more and more and more because of the gospel. Through the non-believers on Malta and through the Christians who welcomed them along the way, right into that world-class city of Rome, God's providential and gracious hand was providing for Paul and his companions. And so the Lord kept his promise, didn't he? As he always does. Paul was carried all the way to Rome. Verses 17 through 31 are the last verses of Acts. And should it end any other way than with Paul preaching the gospel? I don't think so. First to Jews and then to anyone who would come and listen. And so the second point this afternoon is gospel proclamation. Though Paul was still a prisoner, he was allowed some freedom. Course, that is more evidence of the Lord's kindness to him. He would have been able to live in some type of house arrest, though he would have been chained by his wrist to a Roman soldier. He would have had to pay his own expenses while he was there, but he would have been able to entertain guests, and so Paul did. It took him just three days to settle into Rome, enough to then call a group of local Jewish leaders to meet with him. And so in verses 17 through 20, we see Paul's introduction of himself to these Jewish leaders. And what Luke records is Paul defending himself as innocent of all the charges brought by the Jews back in Jerusalem. Paul concludes by telling them that the real reason that the Jews in Jerusalem sought to kill him is right there. It's right there in verse 20. Look there with me. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. The hope of Israel was that the Lord would send a Messiah. The Lord would send a kingly rescuer who would restore Israel, who would fulfill all the promises of God that were left unfulfilled up until that point in time. And Paul's life testimony, everywhere he went, was basically this. I have met the Messiah, and you can know him too. The Jews in Rome had not heard a bad report about Paul. It's a bit surprising. And furthermore, they went on to say that they wanted to hear more about Christianity because they had heard a bad report about the Christian faith. Verses 23 through 28, they give us a window into the day that all of those Jewish leaders, and they brought more friends with them, gathered there with Paul while he was chained to that Roman soldier to hear Paul tell them about Christianity. They came in large numbers. Paul spoke from the morning to the evening. Is that any surprise? And he spoke, of course, from the scriptures. He spoke from the law of Moses and the prophets. And of course, that was shorthand for the entire Old Testament. What a sermon that must have been. Specifically, Luke tells us that he testified to them about the kingdom of God and Jesus. The kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ are then mentioned again in verse 31, and this is what Paul proclaimed when people came to see him. The kingdom of God is not the same as the gospel. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God, wherever his authority exists, and that really is everywhere. Everywhere on the earth, everywhere in the universe. And it's different than the authority that the world knows. Jesus said in John 18 verse 36, when he stood before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. The kingdom of God doesn't have physical boundaries. The kingdom of God, for example, is right here in this room. It's it's in your apartment or your villa or your house. In fact, the kingdom of God is in places where you would least expect it. The kingdom of God is in every brothel. It's in every police station. It's in every drug den. It's on every deserted island. But the kingdom of God must be recognized and entered. Just because it's everywhere doesn't mean that everyone is in it. The way to enter it is to recognize it first, to understand that you're not in it to start with, and to turn and entrust your life to its king. It is a kingdom after all, and that's Jesus. It's a kingdom of righteousness because Jesus is righteous. It's a kingdom of holiness because Jesus is holy. And so we who are sinful and unrighteous, we have no right to enter it. In fact, we stand condemned before a righteous God. But the most wonderful news in the world is that King Jesus has righteousness to share with us. He wants to share with those of us who are unrighteous and that is our only way into the kingdom of God. He is our only way in to the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who can grant citizenship in the kingdom of God. One part of the Bible calls that granting of citizenship a new birth or being born again. To enter the kingdom of God is to be saved. That's what Christians mean when they say saved. Saved from judgment because Christ took the judgment for our sin on himself when he hung on the cross. And when he did that, he was providing, giving access to forgiveness for those of us who are sinners if we would simply receive him. Entering the kingdom of God isn't then simply about forgiveness, it doesn't end there, actually. The benefits of entering the kingdom. Though that is the first and most significant benefit, the doorway, so to speak, into the kingdom, the kingdom of God has a glorious future promise to it as well. The book of Revelation describes that future. In fact, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it describes an angel from the Lord. Who blows a trumpet, it says this in verse 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. One day, the kingdom of the world will be overtaken by the kingdom of God. In other words, it will be recognized everywhere by everyone and his rule and reign will rule and reign. Everything will go according to his plan at that time. Everyone will live according to his way at that time in the new heavens and the new earth. What is invisible and spiritually discerned now will be seen and understood by everyone. Now there is great consequence for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ now. Now is an important time. You cannot wait until that day when the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. You must decide now. If you don't, you will stand condemned on that day. But if you do turn to Jesus, that future that is a part of the promise of being a part of the kingdom of God includes eternal life with God and each other in a brand new remade heavens and earth, which has no sin, no sadness, no fighting, no death. Only joy and love and peace. This is the good news message from God and that's what Paul was preaching that's what Paul proclaimed and we do too we do too there in Rome on that day with the Jewish leaders the response was mixed some believed some rejected it they walked away from the meeting after Paul quoted Isaiah the prophet's words Isaiah was called to go to the Israelites and proclaim God's message to them. That was 600 years practically before the life of Paul. But even at the beginning of Isaiah's calling, and this quote comes from Isaiah six, Chi Chi read it to us earlier in the service. God told Isaiah that the people would listen and see, but they wouldn't have any understanding or true spiritual perception of God's message through him. And the reason was that their hearts were dull and hard. To have a hard heart is to be unresponsive to God. It's to refuse to repent and give up sin. It's to be spiritually stubborn. Isaiah prophesied 600 years before Paul sat with those Jews. And yet the very same thing was happening in that meeting. God was speaking through his apostle Paul. But most, not all. But most of those Jews were rejecting God's message to them. They were spiritually stubborn. The Isaiah verses that Paul quoted to them ended in verse 27 with a promised blessing that the Israelites were missing out on. The Lord said that if they stopped being stubborn toward God and understood his message and turned, and he means turned away from sin, then he says, and you can see it there at the end of verse 27, I would heal them. Paul comments in verse 28 on these verses from Isaiah, and he makes it clear what the Lord meant by I would heal them. Paul says, let it be known that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. The healing God promises isn't physical healing in the here and now, although God does sometimes heal just as he did on the island of Malta, right? But he doesn't always do that in any time he does heal in this life on this earth we should understand is a pointer to the ultimate healing of god and that healing is salvation forgiveness of sins and welcome into the kingdom of god is the salvation of god we're so glad for those of you who aren't christians to come and join us at our services or even at our prayer meeting this evening At six o'clock, even in our homes, we want to meet you. We want to know you. Maybe this is your first time here. I want to welcome you along with Michael. Maybe this is your fifth time here. Maybe it's your 10th time here. Maybe it hasn't been here to this church that you've been coming, but you've been going to church services for years, but you haven't given your life to Christ. I went to church for 16 years and never gave my life to Christ. If that's true for you, you haven't entered into the kingdom of God. Friends, don't be stubborn against God. To sit and hear the message of salvation through Christ over and over and over again and not act on it does nothing for your standing before God other than to increase your condemnation hope of israel is the hope of the whole world and he's your hope too he's your only hope the last two verses describe paul's next two years look at those verses beginning at verse 30 he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Under house arrest, chained to a soldier, soldier, paying his own way, welcoming all who came to him. Imagine that, hospitable prisoner. Do you see the irony in Paul's situation? You know, irony is when there are two things that don't fit together, they clash and those two things are this. Paul is a prisoner. And yet, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God in the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Just as it says at another place in the book of Acts, or in actually one of the epistles of Paul, I am changed, but the gospel is not All the promises of God come true. Luke had told about Paul receiving word from the Lord that he would stand before Caesar, and it is happening. Most of the Jews have rejected the gospel, but the Gentiles will listen, he says. And we know they will listen because we've seen it happening throughout the pages of the book of Acts. And that is still true today, brothers and sisters. Today, people around the world will hear the gospel and will put their trust and faith in Jesus. One day we will be in heaven and we'll hear the stories of what happened today. There's a reason why there's a church planning organization called Acts 29. Of course, there's no chapter Acts 29 in the book of Acts, but Acts 29 is happening still today. Millions and millions of people have come to Christ since Paul's day. Of course, there are groups of Christians that are gathered together in committed fellowships, helping each other to live under Christ's kingship all over the world, and those are churches. They're in China, they're in Saudi Arabia, in Nigeria and the USA, they're in Brazil and France and Afghanistan and Japan and Russia. Do you see that the word of God, his message of salvation through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has not been hindered in any way that the Lord hasn't overseen and overcome? Even while Christians and churches may seem kind of like Paul, you know, old, unimpressive, a little man living as a prisoner Still, God is providentially giving his people boldness and removing hindrances so that people can turn to Christ. Today, that will happen. And you know what? It won't make the news, but it's the most important thing to God. And it can still happen here. It can happen in Dubai. It can happen in the United Arab Emirates. We're a small church. We're a hundred members or so together. We're not rich by the standards here in the UAE. We're not the ones in power. There are challenges of course, challenges with the government challenges with all the diverse cultures that we live around and amongst that are resistant to the gospel. What if we took Paul's attitude and confidence in the providential provision of God for his people to proclaim the gospel here in this place? What if we saw those hindrances and prayed that God would overcome them? What if we acknowledged our fearfulness and our timidity and we prayed for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to make us bold? What if we looked to God for whom all things are possible and made discipleship to Him and sharing His gospel the greatest priority of our lives? Would we not see God work in our midst? I told you at the beginning of this sermon that endings were important, but even though Acts, the book, has ended, The acts of the spiritual descendants of the apostles, including Paul, haven't ended. There's a sequel, and we're living it. The dramatic story of God's saving work in the world is still unfolding. The good thing is that we know how it all ends. Brothers and sisters, let's let that encourage us. Let's let that embolden us. Let's let that cause us to drop to our knees and pray for any hindrances in our way to be swept aside for the gospel to go out and do its saving work. Let's pray to the Lord.